Well, good morning and welcome one more time. My name is Dirk, preaching pastor here at Encounter Church. <clears throat> I am so incredibly excited uh, to, be, uh, to be jumping into this series together called Unstoppable. And uh, I, I guess like the point of this whole series, because I want to make sure that we get it, the point of this series is to say that I don't know why in the world God set it up like this, but he did. He decided to use people like me, people like you, people like like us, to change the world. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, I get that. I hear it. It doesn't make any sense in the world, except, except for God in his infinite wisdom decided to call out the church, the Christian church, full of us who are liars, full of us who are hypocrites, full of us who are addicts, full of us who are sinners, to bring light to the darkness to bring heaven to earth, to raise the dead to life, to make lost people found. God set it up that way. And I don't totally know why he did or, or if I had the opportunity to, to tell God, to give him some advice, that's a dangerous thought, I know. But, but like if I could say, God, like just take it from me. Do it a different way, right? Because, because we are going to let you down. Because we're going to find a way, even God, if you're behind, somehow we will still find a way to screw this thing up. And we did, right? We so absolutely did, all kinds of different ways. But there's one way in particular this morning that, uh, that, that I want to point out uh, how specifically we've messed it up in, in order to like reclaim that. It's going to be kind of important. Um, so I need you to pay attention. This is going to get a little deep and a little Greek for just a moment here. What I mean by that is the New Testament, the Bible was written in Greek. And so we're going to delve a little into that. If that's not your thing, if that makes you uncomfortable, weird, or if it's just boring and you tune out, it's like 90 seconds. So just hang with me for a minute, okay? We're going to go through the book of Acts throughout this series called Unstoppable. And throughout the book of Acts, the church is referred to in the Greek word that it was written in, the word that was used was ekklesia. So I'm going to ask you to repeat ekklesia to me now. Ekklesia, awesome. Now you don't totally have to remember that word, but what's important about it is that, is that it's built from two smaller words. Ek, which means, uh, which means out of, and, and then uh, kaleo is the root word, which means calling out. So it's important for us to know that the church, as it's talked about, as it's referred to in the book of Acts, in the Bible, the church is, is the called out ones. Like, called out of what? I mean, called out of anything. It's your, the church is the ones, is those who are called out of business, called out of the way that business is run. More specifically, the church is, is, is the ones who are called out of the way that politics is somehow managed. The church are the ones that are, that are called out to the way family dynamics typically have a way of devolving into. The church is the called out ones to a different way of life, to to being built on the foundation of an idea. No, to be built on the foundation of a person, of Jesus Christ, a person who came, God, from heaven to earth to show us how to love one another, really love one another. And, and then he demonstrated that love to us most clearly, most poignantly by giving his life as a ransom for many on the cross. And then he died, and then, and then as a way to prove that he was who he says he was, he came back to life from the dead, conquering both our sin and our death. I mean, that is an incredible story, and it changed people. 
It changed the way they lived. It changed the way they thought. It changed the relationship. It changed them. And so they became this, this force or, or this, this movement of God that would spread through the world and changing everyone that they came into contact with. Now contrast that if you could. Because we don't use the word ecclesia anymore to talk about the church. We don't talk about the church as if it's a movement of God to bring heaven to earth. The word that we use when we talk about church is not that Greek word ecclesia, but it comes from a German word. I didn't take German, so I'm going to mess this. I did Greek, Hebrew, a little Spanish in high school, never German. So cut me some slack here, all right? But if it's like, like kirche, something like that, all right? Didn't matter. Okay, some of you are going to talk to me about German afterwards. Yeah, right over here. I got it. We, we actually have a listener in Germany. All right, Ben, if you're like watching, like, sorry, bud. Okay, so, so the word that we use is built, it comes from like the roots of the Middle Ages when uh, the definition of church stopped becoming a movement of God to bring heaven to earth, but the church became a place, a sacred place where religious services were performed. Now just like let that sink in for just a minute, right? That the, that the church is no longer a movement, but it's a place. That the church is not this unstoppable force for bringing heaven down to earth. But now chances are most of us, when we think about church, we think about it in terms of like, that's an event that I sit through or a place that I go on Sunday mornings or whenever you go. The church stopped becoming this like, dynamic, evolving, ever-growing, ever-changing force, it became this fixed, static, four-walls place. And so what we want to do is reclaim, reclaim church, right, as it was intended to be. Because chances are that if you've been a part of church in the past, and maybe you're just giving it a shot now, and chances are if you're like, I was a part of it, it's just, it wasn't all that engaging, I heard a true story about a guy who said just basically just that he was a deacon at his church. And he said, you know, I did, I did great things for my church, with my church, for my church. I, I did, I, I built buildings, I raised money, I served on committees, I did all of the things that I was supposed to do as a church leader. But Jesus just wasn't all that of an exciting part of my life. And I think one of the reasons for that, and maybe if you're kind of in that same boat and saying, I don't have anything necessarily against church, it's just not all that engaging. Maybe you think about church and that fixed, static kind of place that you go to instead of the ever-moving, ever-evolving, dynamic movement of God, this force to bring heaven down to earth that it was intended, intended to be. So that's the problem. That's where we're at. To reclaim that, we're going to go to the church at its very, very beginning. We're going to go to Acts chapter 1. On the program that you're handed, Cam, coming in, there's a page number on there. Words are going to be on the screen behind. We've got Bibles underneath the chairs. I'm going to read three verses this morning. So flip to it quick because we're going to go through. If you want a Bible app, that's okay too. Grab your smartphone. But Acts chapter 1 and it starts off, and this I love so much, because the book of Acts is very much like um, the sequel to the, um, the gospel story, the gospel according to Luke. So Luke is writing both these things, and it's like Jesus revisited, right, in the book of Acts. Acts stands for Acts of the Apostles, and, uh, um, and it doesn't start off 
with the Acts of Apostles. Like this point is so cool. We can do a whole sermon on this. I promise that I won't. We are moving on to the, but, but the Acts of the Apostles starts off with Jesus. Like I, that's cool to me. I may be preacher nerding out on that right now, but I think that's pretty awesome that we're like the church starts on Jesus. We have to get that point. Jesus, after his resurrection, he's got his crew with him. There's about 120 of them at that point. He's on a hillside, maybe a mountainside. I don't know, but he's there. He's got his people. They don't totally know this, but he definitely knows. This is like it. This is the last thing he's going to tell them. He's going to go. He's going to ascend up to heaven. And in verse six of Acts chapter one, it starts off that they gathered around, that's these 120 around him. And they, and they asked him, And they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, what they're really asking is like, Jesus, like we knew you were going to set up this awesome kingdom. You would talk about it all the time. And we knew that you were going to get these Romans off our back. And we knew that you were going to kind of set up this like parallel world where you were going to reign forever and ever. Like you're going to do all this stuff, Jesus. And then they killed you. Like it was, an, it was an awful death. I mean, they whipped you and they hurt you and they tortured you and then they crucified you and they put you in the ground. But Jesus, you came back to life. It's payback time, right? Jesus, is, is now, now's the time, right? Like they tried to kill you and now you're back. Jesus, it's time. The gospel part two, we're doing this thing. And Jesus is like, you don't. You don't get it. And in verse seven, he said to them, listen, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. In a sense, he's saying, listen, this isn't up to you. This is about me. This is what I'm doing. But, verse eight, I do have some words for you, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's what he has to say. That line, verse eight, we put it in your program so you could take it home with you. Like that's the takeaway. That's everything. That's the point of today. That verse eight is the point of the message. It's the point of the, the book of Acts that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's, it's the vision and mission statement, not only of the early church at the very beginning, but also probably, if we're honest, of every church here today. That's what it's all about. The rest of the book of Acts is simply filling out what we just heard in Acts chapter one in just, just in verse eight. And it's in that verse, it's in that one line, one verse that I think is going to help us like, like reclaim this, this movement instead of a place, instead of a, a, a fixed destination that the church is something that we go to. The, the first one, like starting off, makes us super uncomfortable and that's okay. In verse eight, it said this, it goes, remember, but you, Jesus is saying this red letters, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. What I'm going to do right now is I'm going to try to take every, all of us, like in all the, the different church backgrounds um, that w- we all come from, whether it's like Presbyterian, Catholic, Lutheran, Baptist, Reformed, whatever it is, and of your church background, maybe it's like a charismatic Pentecostal um, type of flavor. Maybe you don't have church in your background at all, and you're like, what in the world is that guy even talking about? Who are those people? So what I'm going to try to do is just take us all and then offend us all equally. 
when we talk about the Holy Spirit. So that way, like, all the notes cancel each other out So in the email. So that's perfect, right? Um, what we're going to do is, uh, is take this and say, when I say the whole, when the power of the Holy Spirit comes on you, some of you in that first group that I mentioned especially probably get a little nervous, right? Because the Holy Spirit, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not comfortable with the Holy Spirit. I'm not comfortable because you don't know what the Holy Spirit is going to do. When people come up to me, and this is on, and they're like, my, Holy Spirit, Dirk, the Holy Spirit has been telling me to, and you don't have to finish that. I get nervous already because I know, like, what in the, where are we going here? Um, but, but then, uh, but then I, I think to myself, like, you know what I'm honestly more comfortable with is I hear like, <laughs> and this is so bad, but it's like what we'd prefer in these circles isn't Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's something more like Father, Son, and Holy Bible, right? Because the Bible is something that we can come back to and be like, well, yeah, but I mean, in the Greek, it says the opposite. So that was a joke. I'm just kidding. I don't actually, I don't do that. I tell the truth as much as I can. But the, the Bible is something that we can study. The Bible is something that we can get comfortable with. The Bible is something that honestly, if we're reading through it and it starts to make us a little uncomfortable, a little convicted, the Bible is something we just like close and like moonwalk backwards out of that thing, right? The Bible, the Bible we can handle, but it's like the Holy Spirit. Listen, I'm not sure about him. I can say him, right? I was a part of a church. Uh, I was a part of a church where there was an honest debate. There wasn't, wasn't this one, by the way. But there was an honest debate of whether or not you could pray to the Holy Spirit. Because people felt it seemed a little disrespectful to, to, to God to pray to the Holy Spirit. Like, God is a person, the Father. I talk to my dad. I talk to my Heavenly Father. The Son is a person. I have a son. I talk to my son. You can, you can pray to God the Son. But the Holy Spirit, I don't have a Holy Spirit. What's a Holy Spirit? It seems like the force from Star Wars. Great movie. Totally fiction, right? And so it's like, I don't want to pray to that. I mean, that seems disrespectful. So I, I better not, right? And so we, we don't. But... But God, the church has always understood, is God in three persons. It's a mystery of a trinity, not the topic for today, thank goodness. But God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You pray to the Father, you pray to the Son, you pray to the Holy Spirit. Of course, you pray to the Holy Spirit. But then what, what gets us uncomfortable and what gets like the, the more than the charismatic Pentecostal, like the spirit-driven people, like I'll write about, like, yes, finally. It's like, now we can get into like these half Christians. I think that's a dangerous place to live as well. The interesting thing, the interesting thing about this passage is that when Jesus says, hey guys, like wait here in Jerusalem, wait until the power of the Holy Spirit comes on you. Like, listen to this, guys, listen. They were already Christians, right? So Jesus is telling a group of diehards, really, because they were the ones, the few that made it to the end to see him off. And then he tells this group of Christians, you all wait here until you have the Holy Spirit. And I want to be like, Jesus, I thought they were Christians. Isn't the promise of becoming a Christian is, is that you get the Holy Spirit living in you to chip away everything that doesn't look like Jesus inside of you? Isn't, isn't that part of the deal that you sign up for as a Christian? Jesus is like, what do you mean 
What do you mean by telling them to wait for the Holy Spirit? Is this like, is this like if you haven't spoken in tongues or in other languages, then you're somehow like whatever you say you believe or what you actually believe, you haven't yet actually become a true Christian? If you haven't had this like existential spiritual awakening or reality and overcome by emotions, then you, you, haven't, you haven't really lived in God yet. You aren't really a Christian yet if you haven't done some of that stuff. Because after all, he told the Christians to wait for the Holy Spirit. And now I want to finish out offending everybody and say, I don't think so. I don't think that's what it's about. I think it's absolutely true that, it, that you can be a Christian and not have those things. I think that it's possible that that may be something to pray for and to pray, God, God, break into my life, break into my heart, overwhelm me with this, with this reality that you are you and I am me. I want to experience that. But if you haven't, that doesn't mean, doesn't mean you're not a Christian. I think the point, the greater point, this is, this is so important, the point that he was making when he said that when he said, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit, is that he wanted them and us to know that no movement, that nothing, no significant movement in history of the church or God has ever happened apart from God. So, so Jesus wants everybody to know, listen, what's gonna happen is gonna happen simply because of God. God is the beginning. God is the ending. That's it. And I think that's like so powerful and so important for each of us to realize and to like wrap our minds around because, uh, because it's his after all. Now think about this. Jesus assembles his all-star, his dream team, right? These 12 guys, these 11 guys now, you know, one didn't work out, but he assembles these guys together and they're gonna be the ones that are gonna, that are gonna bring heaven down to earth. They're gonna start the movement that's gonna change the world. They're gonna shine the light in the darkness. They're gonna bring the dead to life again. They're going to be the ones who make lost people found. They're the beginning of the movement and they're also like the last picked on the baseball field, if you know what I mean. Like these were, the, these were the guys that were like the middle and high school dropouts. Like no offense, but it's, not, it's just not the people that you go to as being world changers off the top of your head. Like these are the guys, the people that Jesus assembled. Most of them were fishermen, nothing wrong with that. It's just like, they're like day laborers. There's a lot of fishermen around. It didn't make them unique. And then as a way, as like a gesture to make sure that we knew that it wasn't because they were such a dream team, Jesus invites these two guys. One of them's a tax collector, which means that he's a state-sponsored terrorist, or a state-sponsored extortionist. So he sells out his own Jewish people to the Roman kind of overlords above him. So that didn't win him a whole lot of friends among the Jewish community, as you can imagine. Another one of them was, uh, another one of them was, a, you could, he called himself probably a freedom fighter. We'd probably call him today as a terrorist because he would stage these protests that often ended in somebody's murder to, to try to get Rome off their backs so that the Jewish people could be free. And Jesus calls both of these guys and says, Simon and, and, and Matthew, hey, come and follow me and this other group of fishermen. It's like, Jesus, not how you start a global movement. It just isn't. And he's back there going, I know, I know. And even after I die, and then I rise, and then I ascend, I'm gonna tell everybody, hang out here. Don't move 
until God moves. But when God moves, you move. I don't want anybody to mistake what's about to happen for being something of human origin. I want everybody, I want this world to know that what happens, it happens as a result of God moving, not people. So stay here until the Holy Spirit moves. It's up to him and him alone. It had nothing to do with whether or not they're real Christians or not. It had everything to do with putting the lens where it belongs on Jesus. This is where it's gonna, this is where it's gonna get real for us. That's true. That's true in the church. But that's true for each of us personally. Because in the church history, there's never been a movement. There's never been a movement of void of God at the beginning and God as its end. But in our lives, as you're in your week ahead, there's never been a movement. There's never been God moving to move a mountain in your life or make something give away that needs to give. There's never been that that hasn't started and ended in God and God alone. And the reason why we maybe haven't seen it could simply come down to not asking. And so what, what I love for us as a community, no, what we are going to do for us as a community is we're gonna start asking. We're gonna start asking for God to show up and God to demonstrate his incredible power into our, in, in our lives. And so throughout this series, and maybe longer, we're going we're gonna to have a prayer person stand right over here, a prayer team member who's just, whose role it is, whose job it is, simply to pray for us. And you could come up and you could say something specific that you would like prayer over or not. It's fine. You could just come up and they'll just, they'll start praying over you. They'll start praying for God to move a mountain. They'll start praying for, for whatever needs to give, to give. They're right over, the camera people are not going to like this, but like right over here, okay, and you can come up, I hope you do, and ask to be prayed over. And let's see the mountains move. Let's see whatever needs to give, to give. And let's give the glory to God and God alone because we know this was not from human origins. All right, but when it does, when it does, I think it's gonna be amazing. I think if you receive prayer and then I hope you remember to follow up with us and share the story because I wanna hear it of how God is moving, what we're gonna do then is make sure that Make sure that the one who deserves the glory and honor gets the glory and honor because as amazing as miracles are, as amazing as, as all these wonders and signs, healings in the book of Acts, in the Bible is filled with them. Uh, people blind, people seeing, deaf people hearing, the, the immobile getting up and walking around, the dead being raised. Like the, the, the book of Acts is full of these stories and they're awesome and wonderful stories and they're also not at all the point of the book. Miracles were not meant to sustain faith. I've known a lot of people who've prayed for a miracle, a, a wonder, a, a sign from God that he exists 
And maybe it came, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But what I do know and what I've come to is that wonders and signs do not sustain faith. Even if he were to give you that, and sometimes he does, that's not the point. The point is what that points to. If that was the point, listen, all of the disciples would not have fled Jesus and left him at his time of need. They saw the miracles. They saw the feedings. They saw the water to wine. They saw the dead raised. They saw so much of this. Yet at the time of Jesus' need, they all hightailed it out of there because miracles are not enough to sustain faith. That's what Jesus is for. And so when you receive power of the Holy Spirit, church, Jesus continues and he says, oh, you will be my witnesses. Use that power to be my witnesses, Jesus says. My witnesses is a legal term. Witness, I love this thing. I came across it earlier this week, read it, and I thought you guys got to hear about this. A witness's job is really not to do anything, but a witness's job is simply to tell people about what has already been done. Don't you love that? A witness's job Think about it in the strictest legal sense. A witness's job is not to do anything, but simply to tell people what has already been done. That's our role as witnesses to Jesus, not to, not to do anything. I don't, have to, I don't have to die on the cross. I don't have to pay my life as a ransom for many. That's not what's asked of me. I just have to tell people about what's already been done. Except there's a lot of things that, honestly, like really hurt my witness. I'm a, I'm a part of a fake neighborhood. Uh, you know, anybody, you know what I mean? Um, so it's not like plastic and pretend, it's real. Uh, however, it's, uh, it's like, a, like a built-in neighborhood, an association with like, you know, lines and like uh, little signs and things like that and rules to abide by. Okay, some of you get what I'm talking about, right? And, and it has a, fa- a closed Facebook group that goes along with it. Some of you know what I mean? So there's like nobody. You seriously gonna make me explain Facebook to you guys? Half of you are under 25. We surveyed you, okay? So maybe you don't know what Facebook is. Okay, so it's a group where people go who live in the same place to complain about their neighbor's dog, primarily, uh, and, and anything else. But um, I, did I get an amen? Um, so the one person on the, the group, and there's over a thousand people I've lived here for a long time, a couple of different uh, houses here, so don't try to like guess. There's one person on the, the, the group who would just complain, this is years ago, about everything, just all the time. This is blanket of negativity, no matter what it, what it was, right? It was, it would be, you could take a picture of like a sunset across someone's house and be like, beautiful day out. And this person would be like, beautiful day to drive too fast, slow down neighbors. And you're like, where did that come from? Like, come on now. Um, but just this negativity. And remember, I was like talking to my wife, like, oh man, I hope we never meet that person because like that is just going to be rough. Like, I don't know what they're like IRL, but oh man, just got, and so because he's gone and I'm not. You know where this is going. As it turns out, they live like two houses from us. And so we like meet them and I'm like there with my, with my wife and you know, we're talking and they introduce and I hear the name and you, know, you only get the name because the avatar is like that dog everybody's complaining about. And then 
And then I hear the name, and I'm like squeezing my wife's hand, like danger, 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 like get out, don't fight, flight, just run, like this is the person, right? You become, I become very, very guarded around that person. There's really nothing that they could, that they could tell me that would, that would give me a fruit, fresh or new insight into really anything because I was, my shields are up and I just, I wanted to get out of there. Their witness was like completely shot, not about Jesus or God or whatever, just about anything because they just wanted to, wanted to leave. Some of you, you get that. On the other hand, the other perspective, there's a missionary guy, David Livingston. He did a lot of ministry work in and around the countries of Central-ish Africa. And, uh, and, and this investigator journalist guy, um, Sir Thomas Stanley, he's got two first names, how I remember it. He came and, uh, and he met Livingston. Now, now, Thomas Stanley, he was not uh, a Christian at the time. Uh, so he comes and he kind of visits this missionary and here's like what he's been up to and how he's really been instrumental in, in, in God's work of transforming uh, these villages and these small cities. And it's just, it's really cool. And then Stanley goes, goes back home to Britain and he goes, you know, if I would have spent just this much more time with Livingston, just this much, like, listen, I, I would have converted to Christianity and, and he never even brought it up. Like the power of a reliable witness just transcending human understanding. And that's as the gospel moved forward. Paul was just, just passionate about the witness. And so even though he found himself in jail all the time, he would write. And, and in Philippians 1, he would write and he would say that, that his, his guards are hearing about the message of Jesus. And now his guards are starting to convert to this gospel, to this hope of Jesus. Pray for the other ones who haven't yet. And it's like the witness of Paul, not doing anything, but just telling people about what has already been done, gets out there and starts changing people and spreading and spreading. Like, how's your witness, church? Right? How's the witness? Because there's things that you can do to enhance to that. You get the things that you can do to detract from that. Like if you're broke all the time, if you're in debt up to your eyeballs, FPU plug number three, I believe. Like if, if, if you keep spending on stuff that you don't really need and after a couple of days don't really want anymore, like your witness when it comes to the finances is shot because nobody's gonna be, believe you when you're like, you should, put, you should trust your finances with Jesus. And they're like, what, like you? Like you trusted Jesus with your finances and like you're in a hole all the time. Like you're not in a good place and the witness is like cut off. Or, or, if, or if relationships to you are nothing, nothing but a way to like get something from, friendships are a way to get something from, and, or, or friendships are like to sell people to, like this is, and you've twisted that and you're like relationships have now, the witness has been tampered, has been halted, has been hindered by what you've done to the friendships. You can't tell somebody like, hey, trust your career to Jesus. And they're going, John trusted his career to Jesus and he's just angry about it all the time. I mean, he doesn't like what he does. He complains about Mondays all day. Why would I wanna do, it's a witness issue. The problem, problem isn't that Jesus looks bad. He can, he's a big boy, he can handle it. He's the king of the universe. Like if he looks bad, he will get over it. But, but the problem is it's not true. 
The problem is it's not being a good witness. It's not a witness's job. Starts, middles, and ends with telling the truth about what happened. When you say something on the outside, but when we live a different way on the inside, like we're not good witnesses, but the power of a good witness to go up changes people. Like I said about the, the guards, that Paul was around, it changes people as it grows and it comes into contact with that hope is contagious and it changes people. In the next line, in the last line, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, things are changing and to the ends of the earth, like it goes out from that point and starts impacting, infecting, and changing the whole world. It starts there in Jerusalem where, where the, wor- the, the worst sermon that I think has ever been preached was preached in Jerusalem. We're going to get to that one next week. I've preached some bad sermons. Many of you were there. Thanks for coming back. I know what makes a bad sermon. And I'm looking at this one. I'm going, that was the worst. It was the most seeker, unfriendly sermon ever. Yet 3,000 were added to the numbers that day. So like, what do I know? We'll hear more about that next week. Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. It starts up. It's like, it's, it's, a, it's an outline for the book of Acts, Philip goes over, crosses over to Samaria. You know what's in Samaritans? I mean, there's like these racial undertones to it. And it's like, oh, we can't like come into contact. They do them, we do us, and we don't have to like meet. And they're like, no, 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 the gospel goes over those lines. The gospel values all people. And so it doesn't matter if you're Jewish, Samaritan. It doesn't matter if you're Greek or Roman. It doesn't matter if you're male or female or if you're slave or free. The gospel transcends all of these. And so the people are living and and eating and and working side by side for the sake of the gospel as it goes forward in the book of Acts and to the ends of the earth, Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. He's talking, pray for the people in Caesar's palace. Like you think, not that Caesar palace, the different one. Um, Pray, pray for them too. Pray for the Pray for those in in the capital city in Rome across the known world to Paul at the time. You got to pray for those people because it's not Caesar. He's not thinking about Jesus. It's not the other decision makers. Paul goes, no, pray for the cooks because there's there's some chatter and whispers about the hope that Jesus has. Like you see, this message is going out. The people who are cooking and the people who are cleaning the place, they're the ones where the Jesus movement is getting a hold of and they're the ones changing the world, the unstoppable movement of God that extends throughout the ends of the earth. And this blew my mind earlier, and you might think it's obvious, but when these words are written, when these words were written, you and I were the ends of the earth. And Jesus has us in mind as he says them. And he goes, go all the way to Grand Rapids, Michigan a couple thousand years from now and tell them about the hope of the gospel as well. Man. And don't let us be the last link in that chain of faith that goes all the way back to Jesus himself. It can't stop with us. We don't have time for it to stop with us. It may have come, this message may have come around the whole world. It needs to go back again. And it needs to go to our neighborhoods again, in our job sites again, in our families, in our schools again. The movement has to keep moving. Move, church. The church is a movement. The church is moving. 
when God moves, we move. They were up there, they were waiting. They were waiting for God to show up. I mean, Jesus told them to wait for God to show up. And then again, listen, make no mistake, Acts chapter two happened. God showed up, little, little flames on them to make, make sure that we didn't miss it. God showed up. What are we waiting for, church? Like we're not waiting any longer on a movement of God. God moved, he sent you. You're not waiting on a move of God. You now are the move of God. It is time to move, church, and to reach every last person that God has in mind for us to sweep all of them up into his gracious arms. Move, church. Move. If there's one thing that I think is gonna keep us from moving as Jesus intended, it's fear. It's fear of losing what God has gifted us with. Now, I think what, what draws this movement to an end and institutionalizes us and fixes us and, and causes us to stay where we are is because it's because we now have something that, that God has, has done in us that is now worth being afraid over, over risking and, and over losing. When we were first starting off, we didn't have anything at all. So there's nothing worse, there's nothing worth losing. And so what ended up happening is that, is that it forced us, I'll speak personally, for me, it forced me to my knees daily. And so I remember just begging and pleading with God to, to please like bring people to church today because if people don't come to church, then we're not gonna like be a church. A church is primarily built up of the people around, like love it or hate it, but that's what it is. That's what the church is all about. I remember, I remember begging and pleading with God Sunday mornings before delivering messages to you all in the shower. This is a vivid image, sorry. But, but like pleading with God to bring somebody through our doors that morning who didn't yet know and have the hope of Jesus Christ in their lives. But what's happened in the last few years is I don't have to pray anymore. And do you realize how dangerous that is? That, that I personally, I've grown comfortable with this fact that even if I don't beg and plead with God to bring people through the doors, hundreds of people will still come. And I don't have to beg and plead with God in the shower every Sunday morning to bring somebody who doesn't yet know Jesus because I hear the stories on a regular basis about people who are coming here who don't yet know Jesus. And I've mistakenly learned not to rely on God anymore. And I've learned to, to circle the wagons up and to protect what we've built and, and to, to close my fist around it. And God says, Dirk, you might be feeling like you're getting a little older now and you're a little achier now. You might feel like organizationally we're getting older and more grown up. I hear we might have matching chairs someday. You might, you might feel that way. But make no mistake, if the church is the unstoppable movement of God to bring life to the dead, to bring light to the darkness, to make lost 
people found again. This movement from God is in its infancy. And whether that begins or ends that encounter church is totally irrelevant because it's God's remember from the beginning and to the end. In God's timing, it's all up to him. And so our task on that isn't to grasp on to the few things that he has given us, but the task then is to live open-handedly, powered in the Holy Spirit, being good, reliable, faithful witnesses and take this message to the ends of the earth and neighborhoods and job sites and back again. What this looks like, what, we, what this looks like is that sign when you, when you go out today through those doors, then it says that we multiply locally and globally. And so what we're saying is fall of, of 2019. And if we don't keep saying it, we won't remember it. So the fall of 2019, we're gonna start a new church because we're like out of room. And we can't mess with times anymore because then people, like it's too crowded and people don't come. If we wanna tell more people about Jesus, it's time to start a new church. And some of you have kids and you know, you don't have kids for the resources or for the, for the naps. Like that doesn't happen. It is just a drain. Sorry kids, it's the truth. You had to hear it. But we're gonna do that. And whether it's called encounter or whether it's called something else is irrelevant because it's gonna keep Jesus at the center. Maybe the center of Grand Rapids, maybe the center of Wyoming, Hudsonville, Cascade, uh, Caledonia, Byron's, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Because church, we are a movement of God and God is on the move. Let's bring the hope of this gospel to the ends of the earth back again. Unstoppable church, I invite you to stand up and let's pray to our unstoppable God. Gracious God, it is not us. How could it be? God, we know ourselves, we know our lies, we know our hypocrisy, we know our addictions, we know our sins, even if we've never whispered them out loud before. You have convicted us, but God, you have also moved in and through us. You've moved us, Lord, to be the hope of the world, to change the world, to bring heaven down to earth, God. You're moving. May we move with you. May we move in you. God, may we live lives of open-handed generosity. And God, may we have no fear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.